Today's episode of Little Bit of Life podcast is sponsored by Adeline Elaine's Country Boutique, better known on Instagram as Gun Powder and Glitter AE. I found this amazing small town boutique located here locally in Gilmer, Texas. They were established in 2014, bringing that small town boutique with boho western wear, the cutest graphic tees, and everything you could possibly need or want, not only for accessories, home decor, but also your apparel. Make sure you check them out on their Instagram page at Gunpowder and Glitter AE. The link is in the bio and shop online, in-store, or their Airstream mobile boutique. They are all about making you feel fancy, beautiful, and the amazing woman that you're supposed to be. Welcome to Little Bit of Life podcast with your host, Tabitha, better known as Little. A lot of you may know her from social media, but little is shown off the apps. Dedicated to having the real, raw, and occasional chats about what we seem to think, but don't say. Special guests will join in along the way that have impacted her in a profound way. Very little is left off limits, so sit back, enjoy, and here's your host. Hey guys, welcome into Little Bit of Life podcast. I am your host, Tabitha, better known as Little on social media. Today we talk to this amazing company. I am always on Instagram. I'm always being sent different reels and different stories and different posts by all of you listeners, and I cannot thank you enough. I received a reel from a company called War Party Ranch. When I first got it, I'll be honest, I saw these horses, I saw cowboys, I saw cowgirls, and I'm like, oh, it's a ranch. And you know what? We're all in this era in this phase of Yellowstone, and I want to be a cowboy, and I want to go live on a ranch and work on a ranch. So, I mean, I'll be honest, I thought that's what I was getting. But when I really looked and researched what this company was, I was amazed. It takes a lot to really just throw me off of my feet. Today we have the founder, Jeremiah, with War Party Ranch. They're a nonprofit empowering female survivors of abuse by providing fundamental horsemanship, stockmanship, and horse packing instruction, giving women the skills necessary to work in the agricultural, ranching, and horse communities after their 10-week program. Make sure to check out their website at warpartyranch.org. And please enjoy this episode where we talk to Jeremiah, a veteran and post-Green Beret, with how he's not only changing the lives of women, but with their skill set, their empowerment, how it's changing his own life. Hey guys, welcome in another episode, Little Bit of Life Podcast with Little, where we talk about everything that we seem to think but don't say. As you all know, very organic, very raw, very out there, especially when it comes to topics. And when we're talking about um, physical abuse, domestic abuse, or just abuse in general from men and women, we so often focus on the story or the issue at hand of how that person got into that situation, what they're doing to leave, but we don't really focus on what life looks like after they are able to leave their situation and who is able to help them. That's why I have this amazing person on with me today. His name is Jeremiah. He is a founder of an amazing company called War Party Ranch. Welcome in. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, ma'am? I'm doing very well. Can you give listeners just a little bit of a background of how you kind of got into this role of creating this amazing nonprofit company and just a little bit about yourself. Yes, ma'am. So um, I spent 22 years in the army. 
Um, I was in special forces for most of that time, uh, multiple combat deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. And my last day in the army was January 31st, 2020. So um, I was projected to do what most guys do with my background and begin government contract work. Um, I linked up with a with a um, with an agency or working for an agency where I was doing um, anti-human trafficking in in Africa. So all set to go um, to continue run ops in Uganda, and COVID hits, so they recall everyone, and um, we're not allowed to travel uh, due to due to the the whatever people call it nowadays to COVID. So um, <laughs> that being said, I was kind of like you know this mission set is so rewarding. It's unlike a lot of things I've done in my military career where I can actually see tangible evidence of, you know, the people that were in the lives that were changing and what we're doing. Um, so that being said, I was like, well, I want to do something in America and my own community. And, um, I basically with that, I started a t-shirt company, which is called the war party movement. Um, and I use the funds to help uh, the community in any way I can. What I mean by help the community means, um, you know, we've been doing this for about 18 months now and, and everything from paying for a woman's re uh, therapy that we helped rescue to um, facilitating actual rescues, um, whether that's actually, you know, going to someone's house, removing them from their situation, finding them a safe place to go. Um, we've had our hands on a lot of things. Um, and kind of a, the unfortunate part as far as running a company like that, because that was not a nonprofit, um, was trying to tell the story of what's going on. Right. And and uh, I like to show people where their money goes and, and what they're supporting. However, a lot of it for security reasons, you know, anonymity for the families that we're working with and the, and the people that we're helping. Um, it's hard to kind of tell that story. Um, a lot of War Party movement was and is kind of dedicated to the Native community. Um, my mother is Apache, um, and it was a form of honoring my mother because my mother, when especially when she was younger, she did a lot of work uh, on Indian reservations um, and and helping Native women. Um, she also, you know, helped my my parents who just were amazing people, always helping helping out people when they can. Um, but in particular, you know, Native women on the Indian reservations. As I started, as I got out of the army, I got back you know, closer with the native community. Um, obviously it was hard for me to, you know, go to powwow season in, in the summers and do things like that when I was in the army. Um, but really just started diving down the whole, you know, uh, MMIW issue, which is missing murdered indigenous women. Um, most Americans are kind of unaware of actually what goes on in native communities. Um, this to include urban uh, natives as well as natives that live on the reservation. Uh, a statistic that I like to tell people, you know, um, there's not a lot of data on this, but um, in 2016, they did a study and there was only over 5,790 women missing, um, Native women missing, and the DOJ only logged cases for 116 of them. Wow. So as soon as I started going down this work, it's kind of where most of everything from War Party Movement went was always down uh, in, in the native community. Um, you know, I think some of that also has to do with, you know, one, my background, um, you know, our logo to, uh, in, in itself, really, you know, um, that logo is, is derived from the Alamo Scouts logo, which was a special operations unit in, in the South Pacific in World War II. 
that was comprised of a lot of natives and use a lot of native tactics. Um, so I think that get kind of that, that logo itself kind of grasped people. Um, but then just the overall work we've been doing in the community. Um, and then a lot of the things behind the scenes, um, uh, when it comes to my work and what I've been doing, um, you know, underneath, uh, uh, a grand matriarch, grandma yellow feather, and we re- reunited the dogmen. So there's just a lot of, of, of really heavy, deep, meaningful things that we've been able to impact and be involved with in the native community. Um, so anyway, all that being said, um, it was about six months in um, to assisting, you know, women and, and families, whether it's conducting searches for, for missing women, or uh, like I said, physically, you know, hiding someone and removing them from a situation. Um, a lot the next step was like let's say let's say i'm trying to give a story without telling too many uh you know give give too much away but um i had a woman uh from south dakota that was on the run um her uh boyfriend was killed in front of her she had threats on her life um and she was on the run so i moved her to a facility and basically how this works is, you know, we get her, we're hiding her somewhere in a hotel and we're all hands on deck trying to call nonprofits and figure out where we can take, take this woman. Um, this isn't a knock on the nonprofits that are doing a good job uh, of what they're doing, but every nonprofit that I can take someone to is usually only a 30 day program. Um, most of those, you know, the really good ones don't have beds. They're really hard to get into. Uh, but most of them, yes, it's a safe place to take someone, but it's just a 30 day program. So they're basically just kind of sitting in this house with other women survivors of abuse. Um, they all have their own problems, whether that's addiction or just, you know, whatever is going on in their life. They're not improving anything. There's no one giving them classes and therapy and, and helping them find a job or help them get back on their feet. One of the biggest things I saw was financial stability was always would always come to to into question. So you remove someone from a situation. Most of the time, you're moving their identity, um, their abuser that they're tied to. A lot of that has their identity, you know, as far as like who they are as a person. You know, an example of that is like if you're really into um, to drag racing cars and you're into cars and building motors and this and that, the, your abuser is probably does the same thing. Your identity is everyone who sees you at the drag strip and this club you belong to and all these things. And this is your persona. Um, immediately all that's removed from you. So now you're kind of in an identity crisis as well as this financial stability. Um, so that being said, I was like, you know, we have to create something that, that it gives long-term change. And that's a long way of saying this is where War Party Ranch was born out of. Um, out of a necessity to provide women with not only the skill sets to, uh, you know, not only be able to empower themselves and, and heal, but also just give them a skill set that they could fall back on, give them an identity that they can fall, you know, that they could um, become and absorb and really just start their life over again. So what we've done is we've created a 10 week program where we take female survivors of abuse uh, and turn them into cowgirls. So over that 10 weeks, they go from, you know, day one where they don't even know what the front end or a back end of a horse is to at the end of that, where they're able, they have enough skill sets to be able to work, um, to be like a green hand on a ranch or work for an outfitter, um, you know, or all the way up to a horse trainer, boarding facility, those type of things. Um, 
but really look at it as financial stability is the end state. Yes, moving through the program, there's so much more to that that these women receive. But the big thing for us is give them a skill set, help them get a job, and remove them completely from that life that they knew in the past. Mm-hmm. With those that have been almost in this era of society, because when I when I do these episodes, I always do a poll and a post, and I always have people check out the company, ask the questions before. And it's very interesting to get the feedback mm-hmm. of what our generation is going through right now. Um, somebody made a comment, it, it was anonymous, but it was interesting to me. They're like, I don't know anything about horses. I don't know anything about you know domestic violence, abuse, anything like that. But from what I'm looking at, it's almost like Yellowstone meets intervention meets Breaking Bad at the same time. And for those that are like listening now, especially with your company, we're going to talk about that dreaded topic of money. Not only is it expensive Mm -hmm. to, to walk these women through this process, but like you and I talked about, you're using all of your own products, using all of your own horses, your land, the feed, um, for those that are not aware, especially working around equine and horses, this is expensive. And what you're teaching these women is something that, like you said, they'll be able to carry with them throughout the rest of their life as a tool to use, not just you're working them through almost a rehab facility or a program and basically saying, hey, you know, now that you have kind of found a new version of yourself, go out there and figure out what you're going to do. So with this being a nonprofit, what does your overhead look like? How many women are you trying to take on at a time to work with? What is the logistics part of the business? So um, if I look at kind of, as we're building this, we try to set ourselves up for what is what do we look like five years from now? Everything that we create is more on a long-term basis. Um, we're not looking at any kind of short-term solutions when it comes to how we're spending money um, and where the money goes. So that being said, um, the goal is to be able to provide um, four women for 10 weeks in the summertime. Um, The remaining months is dedicated to um, working horses, training horses, um, you know, training ourselves, our cadre, honing our own skills. And then what we have been doing in in the meantime, and kind of those remaining months, is um, is working locally with with women in the Denver metro area. Um, that kind of gives people that you know women that don't have the ability to spend a full ten weeks out with us to still understand kind of the healing properties, to learn to be around horses, you know, to just kind of develop a tribe and, and good people to be around. Um, one of my favorite things in like, you know, on my own social media, I laugh about it, but um, I, I say I'm your mom's favorite cowboy. And and what that means to me, yeah, some of it's funny, you know, and it's not really your mama joke play on. It's that I want your mom, I want to be your mom's favorite. Like I want, I treat everyone with respect. Um, I want to be the example or what right looks like. And I do want to be your mom's favorite because you know, and that whole, you know, that kind of old school feeling of like, if your mom likes me, you know, then, then that, that means something. So, um, that being said, I think oftentimes the biggest thing we try to do, especially the men that are involved is we want to show you what right looks like and how you deserve to be treated. Um, and oftentimes I think that that is what's missing when it comes to trying to break the cycle of abuse. Um, you know, yeah, you can know what a red flag is and oh, this and that, and, and you learn these things as you grow. But if, but if you were never treated a certain way by your father or a male figures, you know, um, it's very easy to not understand what right looks like and look for, 
um, affirmation in, in the wrong things. Um, so that being said, and I guess I got off topic on where the, with the money, but, um, that's kind of the plan for, for the, um, for the fall and the winter months. Again, we're also located in Colorado. So snow's on the ground. A lot of things slow down a lot, um, until we get ready for calving season. Um, we are looking at possibilities of doing something, um, you know, in the winter time, maybe shorter once, once we get a handle on things as far as to be able to maybe bring students back or do kind of an advanced placement or something, um, when it comes to, uh, like what goes on winter, winter calving and, and such. Um, but that being said, the biggest thing, I think, like we were talking about Yellowstone, uh, the Yellowstone effect. Yeah. It's really cool to see everybody, you know, be involved in and understand the Western world. However, it's a TV show. It's super fake the the money that's involved is is ridiculous you know like from where we are um an example is you know hay is about 450 a ton it could be a little more uh and you know if you're just feeding hay just hay alone you know, your average horse is going to eat 20 pounds of hay a day so i mean you take that in consideration a feed bill for you know 20 horses to run this program is looking around ten thousand dollars a month so i mean a lot of the the lot of the the money that's involved in this is consumables. It's feeding the women, feeding the horses, and fuel for our trucks as we go around to other ranches, um, so these women can get the you know basically on the job experiences and do real cowboy stuff while we're while we're running through this program. So that's the majority of our of our cost of our operational cost. Um, I do have kind of a a, a budget. And a, and a dream budget, if you will, I, I'm, I created this from scratch, um, you know, where if somebody, you know, if Elon Musk was like, Hey, what do you guys need? You know, it's like, okay, well, here's, here's my $950,000 I need. And here's every dollar of why I need it and where it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because starting up something that's this big, again, horses are expensive. Um, and we by no means are using, you know, really expensive horses. We're, we're turning out, um, starting on the low end, you know, we're turning out, uh, ranch horses that we're, we're purchasing for, you know, between 5,000 and $10,000, um, which anybody who knows horses knows that, you know, like one of my best horses, you know, I, I paid a dollar for base. I got it for free basically, but, um, <laughs> it's hard to, you know, it is hard to find, um, horses, uh, again, that Yellowstone effect is kind of churn the market a little bit you know you've got um ups and downs ebbs and flows when it comes to that and and uh the other thing that i think you know people don't understand that don't understand animals is you're working with these very large animals um however you know they're super unpredictable you know like we always of course we always joke about bubble wrapping their horse you know because if there's a will there's a way they'll hurt themselves um so so just general maintenance and taking care of horses is, is expensive, you know, so you have your vets, you have your vet bills, you're, you're getting the, with the farrier, you know, every four to six weeks, depending on what you're doing, what kind of terrain you're in, you know, so just maintaining one horse, um, even if you have the property to keep it on and you're not paying for a boarding facility, you're probably looking at around, you know, four to $500 a month just to maintain that one animal on your own property that you own. Mm-hmm. 
When we're talking numbers and we're talking the upkeep and the animals and the ranch and just the day to day, when we're looking at the other spectrum of the statistics of numbers, on average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner. And on a typical day, there's more than 20,000 phone calls placed to domestic violence hotlines. With the magnitude of this number reaching so many listeners, when we sit back and think, how do you find the four women for the 10-week program? I'm sure, especially the more that the business gets out, you're going to be flooded with you know, so many people that need help, that want help, that find you as a last resort. So how does War Party Ranch choose those four individuals for your program? Yeah, and that's that's already kind of happened. And, and it's sad because I'll read these emails, you know, people reaching out to me and uh, I'm not in the place, you know, to be able to assist them. Um, so the most we can do is try to like guide them towards those, you know, domestic violence hotlines or other nonprofits that we've partnered with or, or, um, recommend to people to, to use. Um, that being said, uh, we are, we have a mental health specialist on, on board that is helping us, um, kind of put together a robust, um, screening process, if you will, or application process, I, th- I think is a better way to say it. Um, you know, we we do have some some kind of no grow criteria right now as we're growing because one financial stability. And here's one I will say: um, like an an addict, a recovering addict, I don't have the the staff or the capabilities to um, deal with somebody that may have those kind of medical issues and need a different line of care. Um, than someone who's not a recovering addict, but that is some place that in the future, you know, we would like our work, work ourselves up to when it comes to staffing. Um, now, one of the thing, one of the biggest things that we're looking at, and this is going to kind of sound bad to, to people in a way, but it's like what you said, Yellowstone, cowboy shit, like it's so cool. Everybody wants to do it. What now we have to do is when I do open up the application process, how do I weed through the, the girls that just want to come do cowboy shit all summer and look cool for Instagram. And then the ones who, who are at one, it doesn't mean that they're at their last straw were, were, were it, but that understands how hard this is, how miserable you are going to be day to day, but also how amazing that is. And if you don't understand that, and if you don't want to live outside, sleep on the ground, take care of animals, be up all hours of the nights, work seven days a week, um, and be a cowboy, like it's, it's not for you. So the other thing is because it's job placement and I don't want to, you know, by accident, choose the wrong person and have that, you know, person just wants to post pictures on Instagram all summer and then doesn't want to actually go work in a ranch in Wyoming. Um, I want someone who's like, Hey, I'm in Arizona right now. I'm done with life. Like I need help. Okay, we bring them to the ranch in Colorado. Next thing you know, they're working in Montana, you know, on a ranch. And, and it, yeah, it's 30 below zero outside and she's doing it and she's dealing with it because that's what that's the type of person she is. Um, the biggest takeaway is what we're trying to do is I want to set you up for success. So when life gets hard five years from now, you can kind of smile and laugh and say, like, it ain't raining. I'm sleeping in the bed tonight. You know, there's a lot of things I think as a soldier, especially as a Green Beret, that I laugh about that society does because I know what hard is. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the type of experiences we're doing. So in that selection process, one, yes, we do have like a, a regular um, application that the women fill out. Um, because it's a 10-week course, there's a lot of limitations that come to that, which is 
Um, the reality is most people who will come to this will probably be between the ages of 18 and 30, um, able-bodied. They don't have children. If they do have children, they have a place that they can go. They can go to grandma's house. They can do something like that. Um, so it does kind of limit people for, for how long the course is. Um, and, and so that right there starts to kind of uh, eliminate candidates as we start to pro go down that process. Um, the biggest thing is the the actual interviews that we conduct. We do a Zoom interview with um, with all of our board members, um, where all the board members get to ask them questions. Um, prior to that meeting, uh, we send them a few study materials to study. Um, and those are very simple. Those are like a di diagram of a horse, diagram of a saddle, and then um, uh, 10 equine knots. So those would be things that they'll be asked to do during the exam. And I look at it as like, if you're not even willing to practice tying knots, then I don't need you. You're not going to stay here. You're not going to be here. This isn't easy. So I think that it looks glamorous and it looks cool to a lot of people. But the hardest thing we're going to have to do is, you know, if we got, let's just say the number was 20, which I know would be more than 20. How do I choose those four? Um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of that's going to go into how do I determine your dedication to this program? Because ultimately, when I look back at, and even when you said, you know, why did you start this and how did you do this? Um, the very first rescue I did was a woman named Kay Smythe. And Kay Smythe now sits on our board. And what I wanted to create was when I look at breaking the cycle of abuse, I think that people have it wrong. Like you don't just break something, this cycle. You need to start a new cycle. Oftentimes by paying it forward and working for others and serving others. So these first, these first four, especially this first four class of women, this, this inaugural class, like they have got to work in the ranch industry. They've got to be able to, 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 to have, we have to have that as a story to, for them to, and they don't have to, you know, publicly tell their story or anything, but we have to show this proof of concept that this works, that this heals people, that this helps people. Um, so I really need to find dedicated candidates that are willing to say, hey, I'll put everything I got on the line because I know what this program can do in the future. And, you know, five, six years down the road, when you're able to run 10 women through this, it's because of those first four women who were able to give us a chance, give themselves a chance, um, put their body and their mind through, uh, through a lot of mental toughness that most people don't understand. And then go on and carry that forward and continue to tell their story as they work on the ranch they work on and, and, and where they are. Mm -hmm. I like that you say that you're not breaking a cycle. You're creating a new one. You're also getting rid of emotional bonds, emotional trauma from their past. And I know that you and I talked about it on the phone prior to doing the podcast. And you brought up a really interesting point. When we think of women that are in abusive situations, most often than not, it's usually from a male figure. So how does that work with you being the founder of this company and coming in as a male that's basically showing them, you know, I'm not here with society's pressures. I'm not here, like what you and I talked about. I'm not here to, you know, have sexual advances. I'm not here to make you uncomfortable. I'm here to be a best friend and a mentor to actually change your thought process and mentality on how you should be treated, but also how men are approaching women in the, in this day and age, especially when it comes to abuse. Yeah, it's a good question. So majority of all of our interactions um, in the very beginning of everything that we do is all women led um, all of our instructors, minus myself and uh, and Derek, are females. Um, we have nothing but examples of these amazing, badass cowgirls that they can look to. Um, 
the reality of it is though is they are going to go work in a male dominated field the really cool thing about this male dominated field though unlike others is um, and real cowboys will attest to this a lot of ranches and places you go work at the handiest person and the best hand on that facility is you know the 17 year old cow boss's daughter um and i think that that in itself is powerful and a lot of cowboys get that you know and and i also look at you know what is a cowboy a cowboy isn't just that you can ride and rope and and, and do those things it also is a when people see me in public they look they expect things out of me they expect me to be a gentleman they expect me to be greedy they expect me to be tough but overall they expect me to be a gentleman and i think that that is something that again you know what does right look like so derek and myself go um not out of our way but we understand what it is um i'm a girl dad i look at it as like i want my daughters to date and marry someone like derek and derek's the same with me you know so everybody that we vet in this and in, in the males that are around us do nothing but show what right looks like Yes, we have processes in place where, you know, I'm not alone with the women and, and just kind of, you know, the check the block HR stuff that, that most companies working in this capacity would have. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, um, a cool thing on my background, you know, I was a drill sergeant in the Army. Um, I was an MP when I did that. I had male soldiers and female soldiers. Um, I try my best to not treat anyone different. When I say try my best, sometimes there are some social norms, right? Like feminine hygiene products or, or different things you may need at different times when it comes to just some privacy or something for, for those things. But for the most part, um, you know, there is no difference between what we're doing and, and who we are. Um, so I think like that in, in itself is one. Now, to carry that forward, right, when we go work on a ranch, let's say we go up to Wyoming and we're working on the 11 bar one there probably will only be one or two other female hands. Um, they're going to be around young cowboys, young guys, uh, older guys. Um, everyone has their own personality. You know, if you don't get cussed out at least once a day while you're working cows, you ain't really working cows. Um, so there's a lot of resilience and resiliency that needs to be uh, um, taught to these women. And um, I think a lot of that comes from the different personalities that they're going to be around. But it all boils down to every single male that's an instructor that, that they will interact with every day, whether that's living on the ranch or teaching them an actual course, is an example of somebody that um, it's what right looks like. It's, it's a man, you know, whether he's, you know, like a grandfather figure um, or, or younger or older, it's men that only show examples of what right looks like and how you deserve to be treated as a woman. Yeah, I love what your company's doing because, I mean... I come from a military family and it's something that, you know, I was raised with blue collar workers. When we're talking about this new generation, people don't know what work is. They don't know what hard work is, but they also don't understand that with hard work comes the feeling that you've accomplished something at the end of the day. And I feel like no amount of money can give these women that feeling that to feel proud, to feel that they've learned a new skill, but it's something that they learned on their own and they're able to proceed in the future with their goals and their life. So especially being, you know, within the military and with your mass amount of experience, how does it feel? I'm sure it's just breathtaking to see these women coming there and and feeling like they have a purpose in the world that they're not just living behind someone else's shadows they actually are becoming their own individual from what your company is doing for them 
Absolutely. And I think like, I'll just give you an example of something very tangible that I think that most people, um, what you see it on TV or something that's like, ah, you, you don't even think about it. It's just an easy task or, or something you don't contemplate unless I put you in that situation. So if I told you to jump in my truck and back up to hook up the trailer and load 10 horses and that, you know, like, okay, they're not even getting on the freeway or driving anywhere, but to back up, back up, you know, an F-350 onto mm-hmm. a gooseneck trailer by yourself, rig it up, get everything done, load up all those horses, and then get in there and go drive somewhere by yourself. That is, that's what they do. That's what you're going to do. So let's, so if I gave you that task and day one, you don't know how to do it. So we get in, we start, you know, driving is a skill that we teach them. So we teach them how to drive. We teach them how to back it you know, to pull a trailer, to back a trailer, to do all those things. And to just see, you know, the reward and how they feel when they drive the trailer through like a small obstacle course or back it in somewhere, or we drive to another ranch and, you know, they did it like, that's huge for them. Right. And I think especially most people have never done that in their lives. They never, you know, they've never had, you know, um, a hundred plus feet driving you know mm-hmm. behind trolling behind them with, with with you know with horses and animals animals that you care about in the back and so i think that in itself is a huge feat you know or, or another example just with driving right like who can use a skid steer who knows how to drive a manual like there's a lot of different things that i think that sometimes we take for granted because you just automatically see that and you know if you're uh if you're from the country, it might not be, it might be normal to you. Right. But if you're from the city, um, the biggest thing you might've ever drove is, is your, is your mom's forerunner, you know, like it. <laughs> so I think that like people don't quite understand it, um, on how, on how big like those vehicles are, but also how empowering that is for someone to feel that sense of accomplishment. And these are tangible skills that you feel, you know, on Monday, you didn't know shit. And on Friday, you drove, you did everything by yourself and you drove, you know, 40 miles to another ranch to go work. Um, and on Monday, you, you, you didn't even know how to, you know, how am I going to back this truck up to this trailer? Um, and there's numerous, you know, uh, there's numerous tasks that go into that, you know, whether that's swinging a rope all the way to roping and doctoring a yearling, you know, like all these small tasks that start off that almost seem, um, you know, uh, I don't know how to explain it. It seemed like it's so difficult, right? And I think I, I saw somebody, uh, a quote on social media the other day where someone said like, don't judge your week one to someone else's week 50. Um, and I think, and it was basically like a lot of the things you see on social media as someone who's been doing something either like all their life or they practice a skill and they get really, really good at it. You know, no one's showing how shitty they shoot a bow. No one's showing how crappy they rope. Like no everything you see is a skill, right? Like you see somebody playing basketball, like it's really good. Like nothing is ever their growth process um, and and showing like, I'm not very good at this, but I'm trying. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, the expectation management is, is, uh, is, is kind of hard because, you know, we we're, we're teaching them skills that are very dangerous and, and people's lives are at risk, but also are also very fun. But when you look at like someone, some, uh, and I'll use like Gracie Lay, for example, this girl had a rope in her hand before she could walk. She didn't ride in horses before she can walk. Um, you're not going to swing a rope like her. You're not going to ride like her, 
But when you see what she's doing, you're kind of in awe of like, wow, I want to be like her. This is cool. And you start out and it's so frustrating and you don't know what you're doing. And the next thing you know, like after a few weeks, without even thinking about it, now you're swinging a rope. You're catching actual live animals. You're doing it yourself. And before you know it, when these girls graduate the course, no, they won't be as good as Gracie Lay. But if I was to show them day one trying to rope versus when they leave the course roping, you know, these are massive accomplishments that that are, are very tangible things that these women can grasp and hold on to. With listeners of this podcast, we have reached all over the world. It's incredible to me how far we have reached in such a short amount of time. With nonprofits, we always, especially we have listeners on here that are animal lovers. We have listeners that run companies. We have listeners, especially now, we're honest and raw and real. It's the new year. We have companies that are wanting to donate to a company that matters and to a company that is making changes. And that's why we have you on today. So if we have a listener uh, with a company or even just an individual, how can they donate to your amazing ranch? What is the process? Um, so all they need to do is go to our website, which is www.warpartyranch.org. Uh, there's a donate now button on the website. Um, if they have items or something or, or would like to work with us in a different capacity, uh, whether that's physically donating uh, an item, here's one, here's one, I would love someone to help me donate, uh, a stock trailer. So <laughs> if you had a, uh, a stock trailer uh, that you would like to donate to us, you know, you can, you can reach out, contact us and say, hey, I have some equipment for you. Um, but this also goes into, you know, in the future, um, for future reference, you know, we'll, we may even be asking for donations for like clothes or can you send me, you know, if you got some nice jeans that aren't all tore up, can you send them to us? So there's a lot of different ways people can be involved right now. Um, we're really just kind of focusing on, um, Hey, just donate, you know, five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever people send us go every dollar it goes and every dollar it counts. Um, and then again, if they have some kind of specialty item that they think we might need to use, or if they would prefer to buy something for us and donate it versus sending us cash, they can just reach out and um, reach out to us on the contact um, portion of our page and, and you know, see what we want. Um, full disclosure, you know, I can send anybody the budget. I, it, we're a wide open book, you know. Um, and, and the reason for that is because Myself and Micah, you know, we've been, this is like just blood, sweat and tears of all of our own stuff and our own money and, and our own equipment and horses. And um, so with that, it's like, I'm asking people to give me a chance, you know, without knowing us. But at the same time, there is some things that we've been doing. Like, I feel like we do have a track record of being able to prove that like, hey, we're doing this regardless of how we have to get it done. It's going to happen. So, um, you know, I don't know what I'm saying sometimes, but Anyways, <laughs> yeah, no, we're just super thankful for, for everything, for, for you and for anybody listening. And just, you know, we're super thankful because this has been uh, for us, you know, like I said, we've been trying to get this done kind of on our own accord with our own dollars. So, um, mm -hmm. so donations is, you know, amazing to us. I feel like with um, donations and nonprofit, when we sit here and we think about $5, just sit and think what I'm sure with many listeners, you've probably ordered something random that was probably some bullshit. You honestly didn't need off of Amazon for 30, 40, $50. So what is $5 a day? 
with 142,000 listeners on this podcast, if every single one of you donated even $5, that would be over $710,000 to this company. Can you imagine the women's lives that would be changed just by somebody giving $5? I'm a huge advocate for giving back. Uh, because you never know if maybe it could be you in this situation, it could be a loved one in this situation, that you never really know how much a company like this is needed and necessary until it comes down to the wire where you're in that crisis moment or somebody is. So I'm so grateful to have you on and collaborate and push as much as possible to get your company further out there. I think what you're doing is amazing and incredible. And it's something that is so unique that I feel like everyone should be on board with this, especially for just the honesty and the integrity that you have, but also just the passion that you have to change people's lives. Cause I feel like there's not many of that left in the world these days. Well, thank you, ma'am. It means a lot. Um, you know, and, and I, <clears throat> with what you just said, I also feel like, you know, my background in, in the military, um, something I like to talk about and shed light on too, is, you know, like veteran suicide and, what, and what's going on. And, and especially in the special operations community, um, you know, I, I as of I went to a memorial service yesterday and uh as of me being retired for three years I've been to more memorial services out of the army than I have been in the army. Um more of my friends have died uh, by suicide than, than they have in combat. Um and the reason why I brought that up was because my why is also almost almost kind of selfish to me. Um where I'm trying to live for my friends, for my family, um and really just create something special for people to to hold on to a sense of community and it's for me it's like i'm chasing these adventures i'm chasing life you know the army wasn't my whole life it's just a chapter of my life right and uh, i think that like i look at that and i look at these women in the same manner like i'm trying to cope and deal with trauma and stress and all the crap that i went through the same way my friends are the same way friends of mine that have killed themselves have so i look at this as like this is also part of my own healing journey um, along with, you know, all the women that sit on the board, all of our cadre, they all have shared experiences with these women, uh, and their trauma. But I look at that as like, you know, my why to me is almost selfish because I'm doing this for my own sense of purpose. Um, but I'm also trying to give back to the community and, and give women, uh, that, you know, been through shared experiences of trauma and, and dealt with that, a sense of purpose and, and something to live for. With um, this special episode, I'm going to put your website in the bio. So also, even if you're sitting maybe and you're like, financially, I want to donate, I want to give, but I can't. Totally understand that. We live in such a massive community that's on social media. Follow his Instagram, share the Instagram, share all of the content because you never know if you share it out to one person who might pick it up from there and really spread the word. So if you're listening and you want to help, but you financially are not in that space at the moment, we completely understand. Also, it's just word of mouth, sharing and supporting. So I really appreciate you coming on today. I cannot wait to see this company grow massively um, and to see all of the women that you're able to help in the community. And also, like you said, you're doing it for yourself and you're doing it to help others. And everything that you give in life definitely comes back. Well, thank you, ma'am. I appreciate this opportunity and, and, and feel super blessed to have you uh, have our back and be a part of this. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Little Bit of Life. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow on your favorite platform and interact with the podcast Facebook as well as on Instagram at littlecute1az. We'll see you next time.